I intend to serve as Hand of the King until my father returns from the war. And seeing as you betrayed the last Hand of the King, well, I just wouldn't feel safe with you lurking about. What are you doing? My friends at court will not allow this. The Queen herself The granted... Queen Regent. And you're a fool to believe she's your friend. We shall hear what Joffrey has to say about this. No, we shan't. There's a ship leaving for Eastwatch by the sea tonight. From there, I'm afraid it's rather a long walk to Castle Black. I hope you enjoy the wall. I found it surprisingly beautiful, in a brutal, horribly uncomfortable sort of way. Hey everybody and welcome to our podcast. I'm Sir Duncan, Lord of Castle Sterling. And I'm Lady Kristen of House McWickelbergino. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 54. On this episode of our series Rewatch, we're covering Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 2, The Nightlands. And for anybody that's unaware, this is a spoiler-filled podcast, so we are watching the whole series from the perspective of someone who is current at this point in time in December 2017, so that means if you've seen episodes um, all the way up to Season 7, Episode 7, you'll be good. Um, otherwise, fling yourself from the tower window or destroy uh, your podcast player before you are irreversibly spoiled. Ready to jump right into it, Krista? I always am. <laughs> all right. <laughs> this is our uh, top five for season two, episode two, The Nightlands. Take it away, Kristen. Well, I guess what I'll do is I'll just go. I'm kind of out of order here in my top five this week. Um, <laughs> all right. So one of them, though, that I thought was cool, it's it's probably the shortest one, was um, was Melisandre. Um her whispered prophecy to Mathos. I don't know if you caught it. Yeah. Love it. So they're in Dragonstone and everybody's in the war room around the big, uh, you know, big table that I now consider Danny's table. But at this point it is Stannis's <laughs> big war table. That's funny. Um, and, uh, and Mathos and Davos are about to leave. Um, once Melisandre comes in and she's like, leave us or whatever it is that is said. And um, she goes up and she whispers something into Mathos's ear, who, as we know at this point in the episode, that he is a devout follower of R'hllor. Um, and he's trying to get his dad involved in the Lord of Light and get to him to be a believer and, um, you know, to no avail, of course. And... Um, and so Melisandre just looks at him and is just, you know, the Lord, she, what did she say? The Lord she of says, light uh, is the strong Lord of in light you. shines through you, young warrior. And then she whispers something and, um, and Stannis said, what did you say to him? And she said, 
I told him that death by fire is the purest death. And then I realized that later that season, Mathos dies in the wildfire explosion in Blackwater Bay. And she basically just told him, don't worry, when you die, you're going to die in a righteous manner. Right. So crazy. It's just, it caught me as one of those things that's just like, you know, that this whole show is filled with these asides and these throwaway lines that you don't think much of. And then when you watch the whole show again, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's what it was. That's amazing. You know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Oh man. Yeah, it was pretty great. And, um, it was interesting too. They were talking on the beach, like right before that it was Salador San Davos and Mathos and, uh, Salador kind of walks off and Mathos and Davos are talking and um, they're talking about prayer and Davos is saying now he doesn't believe in any gods or anything like that. And Mathos is saying that he, you know, obviously is a big relore guy. So he's like, you know, I've seen people pray for this, pray for that. It never ends up working. I never prayed, you know, and I came home from from the, uh, the ocean every time. Right. And Mathos says that, but I prayed. And so this sort of also foreshadows uh, what ends up playing out is that the prayer fails <laughs> in the end. And right. Davos, who never prays, ends up um, surviving unscathed, essentially. <laughs> so that sort of also foreshadows his death in the in season in episode um, nine, I think, at the Battle of Blackwater. Well, you know, nobody was praying for Mathos. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> Mathos was praying for Davos. <laughs> yeah. So it could be an argument for prayer works, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Poor Mathos. He's like, as he's dying, he's like, motherfuckers, nobody prayed for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bastard. Bastard father. That's so funny. <laughs> those are, yeah, those were his last thoughts. <laughs> as, the, as the wildfire just shreds him. Oh man, I love wildfire. I wish it existed. It's uh, it's based on the concept of Greek fire. Are you familiar with that? It's another I'm historical not. overlay. S- school me. It's a weapon used by the ancient Greeks um, during siege warfare and stuff. They would dump it from their walls or whatever um, and spray it on people in combat. But it's this wildfire-like substance that burned at extremely high temperatures and couldn't be put out. And um, to this day, we have no real explanation of what it was comprised of or uh, how it was made. But there's plenty of tales of uh, Greek fire being used in combat. So I think that's where the concept of wildfire came from. I'm sure you're absolutely 100% right. That's really interesting. I'm going to look that up later. Yeah, it's really cool. I love how um, there's stuff like that all over this show. We had a really um, astute listener point out on our Facebook page, Cody Bittner. Thanks, Cody. A, gr- a great parallel between um, both Robert and Rhaegar um, being compared to the historical figures of Hector and Achilles. And I'd reverse the order there. It would be Rhaegar would be compared to Hector, who was the prince of Troy during the Trojan War and their greatest warrior, who was beloved by the people and had, um, you know, he was like the people's champion. Everybody loved him. He was an honorable, good dude who wanted the best for his people and nation. Um, kind of like Rhaegar, who was beloved by the people and was the prince and everything like that. And then you have, he's also like the greatest warrior of their kingdom, aside from maybe Arthur Dane. And then you had um, Robert, who is similar to Achilles, being like the greatest warrior of the of the war overall, um, who is just, you know, very similar to 
the way Achilles is described as this unstoppable beast in battle. And much as Achilles slayed Hector on the shores of Troy um, when they arrived to Troy to fight the war, Robert slayed Rhaegar on the shores of the Trident River uh, when they mm-hmm. rode south. So another crazy parallel there with the ancient Greek and, um, you know, Trojan history. Uh, really cool stuff. And then they both uh, died by, you know, boo-boos, essentially. <laughs> yeah, well, with uh, Achilles with and Robert. Robert and Achilles, yeah. Yeah, Robert was shot, or Achilles was shot through the heel. Um, I can't Robert remember. Robert was attacked by a boar. By a boar, yeah, two, like, dumb things that should yeah. <laughs> you know. Ridiculous deaths. Yeah. No honor. <laughs> it's great. Anything else for your number five? No, that was it. I just, uh, I thought that it was enough of enough to stand up and take note that, you know, here we are seeing R'hllor work yeah, again. Yeah, it's crazy. This is our first time that we really have seen um, the evidence that, that um, Melisandre can see into the future, that she is witness to these glimpses in the flames. Right. Uh, we don't have an explanation, but we do find out that she had accurately predicted the future here um, when we well, when see Well, and Mothos she escaped die. death last week, and yeah. now she's going to have a shadow baby. Yeah. Yes. What a crazy <laughs> cool character. I know. Good for her, man. Yeah. So my number five is Arya and Gendry. Yay! <laughs> a man has a thirst. It's The scene starts out when we uh, see Jacken show up also, which is pretty awesome. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I wanted to mention that as we, I'll we'll just cover like the the Arya and Gendry scenes as a whole, I guess, and uh, talk about stuff that happened in them. Um, so we get our first sight of Jacken in the series, which is awesome, and Biter and Rorge, a Rorg or whatever. Um, Yorin is a total badass in the scene as he puts his knife to the femoral artery of a gold cloak and um, refuses to turn in Gendry. Um, that was amazing. Right? I have my notes just, I fucking love Yorin, all caps. Mm-hmm. Super awesome. People are always so, you know, worried about their necks. They forget about what's down low. <laughs> As he pulls his dagger He's like, I'm going to nick this artery. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're a little <laughs> closer to some other precious jewels there, yeah, buddy. There's all kinds of stuff there. That femoral yeah. artery is real dangerous, though. You'll bleed out in like a minute or less. Yeah, very, that very thing quickly. Goes. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. Arya thinks that the, the the gold cloaks want her when they show up, and she sort of hides. Um, and she's like, "Gendry, they're after me!" You know, but it turns out that they want Gendry, and she's like, "What the fuck?" And Gendry's like, "What the fuck?" You know, <laughs> and everybody's like, "Who are like, you?" <laughs> yeah, even Yorin's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> right. <laughs> um, next scene we get there, it starts off with Lamy and Hot Pie and everything, and I'm like, what the fuck's a Lamy? That's hilarious. Every time I see Lamy, that's what I think of. <laughs> and uh, Hot Pie, more boasting of things that he just has no idea about, like kicking people in the balls to death. Last time we saw Hot Pie. How do you know he was a knight? Because he had armor on. <laughs> he had armor Any fool on. can get armor. <laughs> How do you know? Because <laughs> I used to make it. <laughs> yeah, Great conversation there. Uh, Gendry is so funny, man. And then it, it turns out to be the only person there um, who, like, is, or aside from Jockin, we discover later, who is smart enough to realize that Arya is not a, a male, you know, that she's obviously a little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Jockin held, Jockin held her secret, kept her oh, secret. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't, yeah. We don't, we don't know he knows anything yet. 
um, what a great character, Jockin, too. I'm excited to see him come into play more. Yes. In the future. Too bad we don't get that hot pie, hot pie battle scene, though. Oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> when Jockin so, gets hot pie, hot pie, hot pie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, too. Um, so we get some great conversations with um, with Arya and Gendry as they're talking in the woods and uh, Gendry, <laughs> you know, tells her about, you know, how all these people keep asking him questions and nothing ever good comes from the questions. And she's like, wait a second, who keeps asking you questions, right? And he's like, well, you know, the hand of the king and or the hands of the king, the old one, the new one, both just a couple weeks before they died. And she's like, what the fuck? Um, so he, she, he, he then mentions to Arya that obviously you're a girl and she's denying it and everything. And he's like, well, pull your cock out and take a piss then. That was awesome. Because especially since we just saw her peeing just yeah. like a couple of minutes prior to that. Yep. And uh, yeah, Yorin had said, you know, when you pee, like go off in the woods by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she eventually admits, you know, he's like, what do you think? I'm stupid like everybody else. You're a girl. I'm not, an, I'm not an idiot. I'm not hop high. You know? um, she totally looks like a girl, too. Yeah, she totally does. You, I would never, ever think that that was a boy. Um, so then she admits to him that not only is she a girl, but that she is highborn, that she is Arya Stark, daughter of the Hand. And he's shocked by that and uh, has some great reactions. All that about Cox. I should have never said that, you know, and she's, <laughs> she's, she's like, you know, smacking him around and she's like, I'm not a lady and pushes him. And he's like, that, that was unladylike, you know, and he's laughing as he falls to the ground and they sort of have like a really cute chemistry together. Um, I wrote down the same thing. Such great chemistry. Yeah. They're really funny together. They're a little uh, dynamic and relationship that they sort of have. <laughs> um, and that could end up being important uh, in the future of considering Gendry has returned to the story now. And I hope it is, you know, the mention of joining houses Baratheon and Stark all the way back in episode one of the series could end up coming to fruition um, if Gendry and Arya end up getting together, which I could totally see happening. I think that if he proves himself in battle and is loyal to Jon, that Jon would um, legitimize Gendry to further the line of House Baratheon, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, Uh, we've talked about this. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think that that could be really important in the future. We could end up having the revival of a house for the first time in a long time. We've seen houses extinguished a lot, you know, Tarly, um, with Sam being in the Night's Watch and and Randall Martell. and Dickon being killed, Martell being extinguished. Um, <laughs> we also, um, um, Tyrell as well yes. has been oh, pretty much gosh. brutalized. That's um, a brutal one. To the reigns of Castamir, <laughs> um, and we got we, we got Tyrion whistling the reigns of Castamir again this episode, which is pretty I funny. I noticed that. Yeah, he's always whistling in the family tune. Um, pretty classic. Uh, yeah, so that's my number five. It's just Arya and Gendry, and that whole you know that whole those whole scenes combined with them and their cute little relationship that they have. Um, Obviously, she's a little young at this point, but I think that they could be good together when she gets a little older. <laughs> I agree. I, you know what? That was my favorite, my favorite scene of the entire episode. Oh yeah, I loved it when he said, "You shouldn't insult anyone who's bigger than you," and she's like, 
Well, there'd be nobody for me to insult. I'd never get to insult anybody then. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment. You know, they're just full of that kind of, um, I don't know, like like they've known each other for a really long time. And um, I really like that. I do. I, I would like to see that happen in the future with um, Gendry and Arya. I, I have this feeling that Gendry's going to be in some sort of weird love triangle with John and Daenerys. I don't know. Really? Yeah, I just I think that when you have the original um logo um of Game of Thrones and Barat the Baratheon um stag is still there. You know? I mean it it's got the four major houses and the Baratheon um emblem hasn't moved right. for seven seasons. So clearly Baratheon is still important mm-hmm. even after, you know, it's Cersei's now queen and it is a Lannister, you know, monarchy or whatever. Um, so it's just interesting to me how, um, you know, we're, we're still subtly told that the Baratheons matter. Yeah. And I think Gendry's going to play an enormous part in that because he is the only one left, as you said. Yeah, I think he'll be critical in the war effort. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to have something to do with forging Valyrian steel, possibly. Absolutely. Um, which would be amazing. Obviously, he represents the smith, um, you know, in terms of the seven of the faith. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, they've kept his, you know, the, the the house sigil for a reason. And I think that, you know, he could be legitimized and end up ruling Storm's End or the Stormlands. With Arya so. by his side, which would be cool. <laughs> he deserves a good ending, too. Yeah, after know? all that rowing. Well, and then all that running. I mean, he rowed <laughs> yeah, all he that way just so to far. run. Then he ran so far. <laughs> he's got to get somewhere after all this <laughs> this travel and haste. I'd say he's the best all-around athlete of the Westerosi world. <laughs> yeah, they should have... Uh, yeah, he's like... Um, Marathon. What I don't remember the guy who ran the, the marathon, but you know where the the term marathon comes from? Um, because of the uh, because of the guy that ran from what is it? Athens marathon to Greece marathon. To, yeah, <laughs> and it was twenty six point two miles. Dude, I run half marathons. <laughs> yeah, they uh, legends. You know, vary on how long the original run was. Some people claim that he ran from one place that was like a hundred miles away. To this other place and then ran uh, somewhere else and who knows but uh, yeah it's pretty cool that's um that's they actually still do that marathon oh yeah that's awesome uh, oh, i'm sure yeah. they do definitely yeah you've been running a lot lately huh yes nice good for you <laughs> um yeah okay cool i i agree with that aria and gendry were in my notes too so i'm glad that we got to talk about them nice how about your number four my number four, um, I would say that it is Tyrion. Um, Tyrion did a lot of flexing of his power this episode. Um, you know, he's starting to kind of get comfortable in um, in King's Landing. First, you know, you see him walking in and seeing Shay. Let's see, a Shay first with Varys. I do believe right, that was Varys. the first scene. So. You know, what? one of my favorite, what, I think we were talking about this earlier, one of my favorite characters is Varys. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, the first time I watched the show, I just did not know what to think of him. And he would he would always be my biggest 
question mark when I was reading, most when mysterious. I was watching the show. Yeah, I just couldn't figure them out. And then this season, uh, this past season, season seven, I really feel like I know where Varys is coming from, what he's always been about, and he's never faltered from that. And you know what that means, though, right? They're going to pull mean? the rug from under us completely no. and switch Varys on us somehow and surprise us with him. I... I <laughs> No, <laughs> I think you're wrong. I hope well, so. I, I love that conversation that him and Melisandre had um, this past season, you know, where oh, yeah. they both understand oh, true. That yeah, they good have point. to die in Westeros and, um, you know, they both understand it. So I'm wondering how how much more we don't know about Varys. Right. And she had said also that if as long as he's not a threat to Jon Snow, that she, he doesn't have to worry about her. Right. That's so and see, I think that's probably going to come back full circle as well, probably, um, because he's about the realm and she's about the prophecy, right? Right. So, or the Lord of Light, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the prophecy, Azora High. Um. Right. Um. So you know, you see, you see Tyrion talking to Varys, and um, you know, he's like, "I'm a Lannister. I have no honor. The last man got killed for his honor, and don't don't mistake me with the last, with the last hand. I will throw you into the river." Across <laughs> that was me. one of my favorite lines. Yeah, Ned Stark was a man of honor, and I am not. Threaten me again, and I'll have you thrown in the sea. <laughs> right, and you can see that he means it. You know, and Varys sees that he means it. And and I think Varys was really confused. Like he said, I'm I'm not trying to do anything, man. I, I came to say hi, you know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think well, that, that was a power play by Varys, too. I don't know. I mean, I, I do. I, I agree that he's always playing some angle. But I just think in that moment, he he looked genuinely confused. And I'm probably wrong. I think you're probably right, but I, I like to give him the benefit of the doubt in my rewatches. Well, I, love I think him. that, you know, he'll he'll assert his power, not without necessarily meaning like having any nefarious intent. But with him showing up here and um, Tyrion arriving and him being in the room, Varys being in the room with the Shay, one, he's like, I know your secret. So, A, that puts him in a position of power. And then oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. subtly mm-hmm. in their uh, in their conversation, you know, not so subtly. Um, he's saying, you know, oh, it's good to have your friends around. Um, it's too bad your father didn't want this particular friend to come to the city with you, though. Um, luckily, I'm very good at keeping secrets from my good friends. In other words, like, you're going to do what I want. Otherwise, I'm going to fuck up your whole situation here. And, uh, and <laughs> Tyrion's response is great. Your discretion is legendary where your friends are concerned. <laughs> um, well, you know, and then, and then in the, the next episode or the or I think it's the next episode he starts seeing who he actually can trust right and varies is totally on that list they uh right right yeah this is just they're both um this is like saber rattling before they yeah before they realize that they're actually like on the same side is right ideologically and I guess maybe that was my point (laughs) oh yeah you know it was just kind of like I I Varys is feeling him out. Tyrion's feeling him out. And I just, I think that I, and again, you're probably right. I just really felt like in that scene, there was a moment where he was genuine um, with his surprise. Like, oh, I didn't mean that, but, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. Conleth Hill, I think that's his name, who yeah, plays Varys. he's amazing. Gosh, he's I so love good. him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is really, really fantastic. 
Oh yeah, did you see the clip with um, was it Game of Jones with Seth Meyers and uh, Leslie Jones where they do the like a <laughs> thing where it's them watching Game of Thrones and you're basically we're just laughing at the way Leslie Jones reacts to things like. Like dragon doing dragon imitations, ah, you know, like freaking out at the screen and stuff. Um, but there was one with Conleth Hill where Varys does something shifty and Seth Meyers has her like talking about Varys and then Conleth Hill walks in dressed as Varys and she oh my freaks gosh, out. That's so awesome. And they're sitting I would there too. watching. Yeah, totally. But then they're like watching the episode together and like going back and forth with commentary and she's like dissing oh Varys and he's sticking up for Varys and it's it's funny then. I have to watch that. Yeah. I have, I've only seen part of one, and I just loved it when they were watching the song, the the opening song, and um and Leslie Jones is like, okay, so this is how we know where we're gonna visit. Okay, we're gonna right. go to the wall. We're gonna go here. And Seth Meyers is like, okay, already you're a way bigger fan than me. Yeah, it's like we're I watching had... the show on two completely different levels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's classic. So I, I watched that and I was like, oh yay, Leslie Jones is actually a fan. You know. Yeah. So. Totally. That's so funny. Um, anything else um, for your number four? Well, yeah. So um, All right. that that was just varies. Um, nice. But where he really flexed his power, where he really kind of like stated, hey, I'm the hand of the king and I'm actually going to do what I want to do. It's with Jano Slint. Yes. Right? And that's my number four. So we'll, we can just oh, combine good. right here. Perfect timing. OK. Um, so. So, yeah, I loved it because, you know, Tyrion's getting him kind of buttering him up, you know, like, here's all my food and here's my best wine and you're amazing and everything's going great. And by the way, uh, you have your, what, what did he say? Something about like you, um, he goes, I can't be sold. Oh, I know. Or Ned Stark can't buy me or I can't be bought. And he's like, I know because no, he didn't know that you've already been bought. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, hey, I will not have my honor be questioned by an imp. And he's like, I'm not questioning your honor. I'm denying its existence. <laughs> I'm denying its existence. <laughs> that scene was so fantastic because you already hate the guy. Oh yeah, he's freaking yeah. He's the guy that totally betrayed Just Ned. Just killed and, all the babies. Tyrion reminds us in the episode too. Yeah, he yeah he betrayed Ned and completely overshadowing that. Just like murdered a bunch of bastards and babies ruthlessly. Um, Tyrion yeah has a great line about that too, where he's like, "Yeah, the gold cloaks are you know keeping order and peace." Uh, I didn't realize that involves murdering innocent babies. I was such a great drop of the hammer. Yeah, I can't because you're just I I I hate that scene, you know, and I know that there's a couple other people, especially that, you know, wrote in their feedback last week who were on the same level. But I mean, you can't even watch that and feel good about anything. It's so brutal. And, uh, you know, he's like, whatever, who cares? King told me to do it and babies are stupid. You know, basically. Yeah. The Nazi defense, you know, the Nuremberg defense. And so my favorite part was when he goes. Uh, yeah, you're going to go to the wall. You're going to be a man of the Night's Watch. You're going to love East Watch by the Sea. (laughs) Not Castle Black. No, no. You're going to the outskirts of the wall. Well, that's a buddy to start. But then he's going to walk to Castle Black. He's like, he says, there's a ship leaving tonight for East Watch by the Sea. From there, I'm afraid it's a rather long walk to Castle Black. (laughs) I hope you enjoy the wall. I found it surprisingly beautiful in a brutal, horribly uncomfortable sort of way. It was <laughs> just such a great, amazing great line. Scene. 
He's yeah. like, I'm the Lord Commander of the City Watch. He's like, no, man, here's my friend Bron. He is. Yeah, he, he you know, Bron had said, oh, I'll escort you. And he responds saying like, oh, these men are under my command, you know, arrest this man. And Bron sort of, right in that moment, has this moment where he looks at Tyrion with this knowing look, kind of laughing. And Tyrion's like, no, actually, uh, that cutthroat is, uh, he's the new boss. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Hilarious. Oh, one other thing I thought was really funny about this scene, too, is that it opens with uh, Podrick Payne, you know, Tyrion's squire, pouring a glass of wine for Janos, but he spills it all over the place. <laughs> and I'm betting that this is intentional. It's considering this whole scene is a setup. Oh, um, yeah. I bet Tyrion instructed him, spill the wine everywhere, make a mockery of Janus. Like, um, this is so, so great. Everything about this scene is just perfect, the way that Tyrion handles this and everything. Uh, you know, you just, it like, this is... Tyrion season, right? Yeah, season really two. Is. It's his. It's Tyrion's book. It's Tyrion's season. It is all about Tyrion, you yep. know, and that's just awesome. So, yeah. Um, so with Varys and with Janos Slint, you know, he's just starting to get comfortable, and he's even getting a little bit more comfortable with Cersei, except for the fact that you know they have all that history, and you know, even if he's winning an argument, she can close it out, win it, and walk out of the room with "You killed our mom." Done. Yeah, you know, that was so fucked up, man. That's his unwinnable circumstance yeah. in King's Landing. Speaking of that scene, um, I want to mention Peter Dinklage's um, performance at that moment when she brings up their mother and everything. Mm. The camera pans over or cuts over to Tyrion. And he's kind of got his head cocked at this angle and he's looking up at her and the expression on his face is just worth a thousand words at this mm-hmm. moment. Like... Uh, Dinklage is just incredible acting and you could read his face like a book right here and it's just it just said so much uh, I think it's a really powerful performance by Dinklage here very um, pained very pained um, shocked and bewildered look uh, he's you know and what does he say she was my mother too you know mm-hmm. not like he wanted that to happen um, yeah what a bitch Cersei is like she's just <laughs> horrible <laughs> In so many she ways. Is. Um, did you want to say anything else about um, Janos and Tyrion since that's your number four? Um, I I liked afterwards after Janos was taken away. Also, how um, Tyrion sits back down and he asks Bronn, you know, if I asked you to murder a babe still suckling at her, like the, it's it's mother's teat, you know, would you do it without question? And he's like, without question. No, I'd ask how much, you know, <laughs> but uh, Tyrion realizes that he's basically he basically hired the same guy. Yeah, at least yeah, m- most mostly uh, yeah. he would do it potentially. But yeah, it's it's yeah, it's pretty messed up. I had a, a note about that particular line, too, about how that's kind of foreshadowing with Bronn and Tyrion anyways, just because Bronn doesn't have he's not completely loyal to Tyrion. He's loyal to the coin. <clears throat> right. Yeah, that's a great point too. Uh totally foreshadows the and the disconnect between them eventually in this moment. That's a really good catch. Braun ends up going the safe route and the money route and not not being willing to fight as Tyrion's champion in uh, season 4. That's sort of like they're falling out kind of. I mean, they're still friends uh, at that moment and they're they and shake hands and understand each other's position, but that's like 
that sort of yeah, it foresh- it's foreshadowed in this moment that they just have different ideas about <laughs> about life and duty mm-hmm. and honor and everything like that. Yeah, and then yeah, and then uh, you know, Bron Bron likes to make his own decisions. Yeah, definitely according to his own his own code of morality, which is just code of money. <laughs> yeah, basically the gold Castles. gold code. Mm-hmm. The gold code, yes, bronze yeah. gold code. The golden rule. <laughs> <laughs> he pretty takes much... it a little differently than everybody else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, that wraps up my number four. How about your number three? Uh, my number three is probably the um, the introduction of Pike and right. Theon's arrival to Pike. Um, you know, I hesitate. I hesitate to talk about this because it's just the second most disgusting scene in all of the series when uh, Theon decides to take advantage of unwittingly of his sister in a very <laughs> yucky way. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty brutal. But she lets it happen. You know, the whole it's just you know what? If it wasn't so twisted, just like one of those signs of this is a fucked up family like I, I don't know what is <laughs> yeah yeah it's really fucked up yeah like you said too she's totally like letting it happen as she feels him out as he feels her out <laughs> she, oh gosh <laughs> it's brutal and she seems to be enjoying it you know so it's it's just all yucky yeah and then uh, theon's reaction when he realizes like who she is and what has been going down is hilarious too. I know he's like Yara. What the fuck? <laughs> like what the I hell, know, man? Basically, that's <laughs> how it's going. She can't lead an attack. <laughs> You're She's a woman. A woman. <laughs> you remember what her response is to that? She's like, you're the one in skirts. Yes, it's so fucking great. It was awesome. Yeah, it's interesting too. These sort of, um, it sort of got like a Scottish style with like the armor skirt kilt sort of thing going on mm-hmm. it's interesting i never really noticed that previous watches yeah long. you know um just poor theon you know he he didn't ask for any of it right he didn't he didn't want any of it to happen he he was actually given away by his father and um you know they say that theon's been gone for nine years <clears throat> and then balan Greyjoy who we see for the first time as well, says, um, right. you know, the Starks had you longer than I did. So, you know, with that kind of simple math, you say, okay, well, the oldest that Theon can be at this moment is 17 years old. Yeah. Um, You know, so, so if you're an eight-year-old kid and you leave your home and then you come home and you think that you're going to be welcomed, and then it, it's like, it, it's like his father is finding fault with Theon for what his father did almost a decade earlier. And everybody decides to just like pee on him. Right. And that's why I, I this is sort of my number one. And that's why I called it Theon and Karma. Mm-hmm. You know, because he got taken away and had all this bad stuff happen to him. But then he um, acted like a douchebag a lot, you know, like a whole lot. And sowed the seeds for um his future mistreatment just with the um, the way he has behaved you know like um they're on the boat about to arrive to pike and he's like oh they haven't had much to be excited about since i left 
you know, whatever, and he proceeds to take advantage of this um, captain's daughter and poor girl, yeah, and leave her and just totally abuse her and and um, everything like that. And he's just, you know, he's a douchebag kind of all around. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know if anything he's done has really warranted him being reeked. You know what I mean? Mm, um, no, nothing. Nothing he's nothing. done yet, at least. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a he's a dick, and he ends up being treated like a dick for sure. Then he loses it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, trauma. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, he's basically being told by his dad, "Okay, well, you know." He's like, that's a nice little bobble. Did you pay the gold price or the iron price? You right. know, because we don't we don't do the gold thing here. We do the iron price here. And, you know, um, he's basically calling his son weak and calling his son, um, you know, just not a gray joy. And all Theon has is that he is a gray joy. You yeah. know, he had to grow up without his family. And then so you know, what he does is he overcompensates after that. And it's terrible. You know, he betrays the family that took him in as family and raised him. And he pretends to, you know, burn the two youngest ones. And I mean, what he does after his father basically emasculates him and calls his, his sister, his heir basically, and, and more worthy of the Greyjoy name than Theon for, and when Theon didn't do anything, I mean, you know, you feel bad for the guy in this episode and it's pretty much the last episode until he's with Ramsey that you feel bad for him. Yeah. I got to tell you, it wasn't for a while that I felt bad for Theon, like every single time he was getting tortured by Ramsey, I didn't care for like a long time. It's <laughs> understandable, really. Yeah, and I we can't understate the uh, the significance of this scene where he's just totally dressed down by Balon. Uh, yeah, it's really important for his his psychology. It's the first time he 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 maybe starts to fracture. Um, well, I heard something in an interview saying that Theon was very weak in a very strong family, you know, and it's basically being brought out. Yeah, so. definitely. He's being called on it and mm-hmm. um, being everything that the Greyjoys stand for. He's pretty much um, unwittingly been turned away from. I mean, even right off the bat when he's like riding with Yara and he's like, uh, what does he say? I should, you should give me the reins. I'm a better rider than you. I've been on a horse for the past nine years. You know, and she's like, well, can you still find your way around a ship? <laughs> mm-hmm. You're a fucking Greyjoy, man. Like, <laughs> who cares about riding horses? <laughs> right. Um, and then the, the the baubles and the trinkets and the gold and the armor and everything, just totally opposite of everything Greyjoy-esque. Um which he really should have known, but I mean, he was only eight at the time, so he mm-hmm. obviously didn't really understand what the Greyjoys were all about. Well, and he thought that he'd be welcomed. I mean, he was with a very loving family for a long time, so he thought, hey, I'm actually, you know, a Greyjoy. Like, I'm going to be welcomed. The like heir is returning. And, yeah. 
uh, and I ever he or lands with no pomp and circumstance, like nobody's there. And that old guy that he's talking to, like, could not give less of a fuck <laughs> until know. Theon pulls out some some golden dragons. You know, I, that guy is great. They they cast that that guy on the shore there really well. I thought he just seems completely unfazed by Theon. Just like I looks agree. at him like he's such a pansy. He looked like the um, the coach from Major League. Um, oh man, is that with the um, with Charlie Sheen? Charlie Sheen, yeah, I haven't but seen the that. The coach was like that ever. old salty looking guy. <laughs> uh, he they, looked so much like him. They picked the right place for the for the salty actors to be in. The, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> it's classic salty. Balon looks super salty too, man. Yeah, you know uh, the guy that played Walder Frey. He would have been pretty good as Balon oh, Greyjoy as well. Yeah, I often um, conflate the two actors together in my mind. Yeah, you me could too. Say, uh, two really great actors. Really love the <laughs> their roles. Uh, I can't. I can't like. I can't say enough about the casting on this show. Every time, it's just so good. Yeah, they do really well with it. I agree. Yeah, and Balon is just makes us hate him so much. Like as he spits on Rob's offer here. Coming Ugh. up, um, actor is just so good. We, you know, he, he, oh, he listens to your counsel. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's like, yes, he listens to my counsel. I grew up, you know, next to him. He considers me a brother. And he's like, oh, no, not in this fucking room. You know, you will not call him brother, the son of the guy who killed your brothers, um, which sort of puts it in perspective for Theon, too. He's like, he really did. Like, like if he knows his father at all, he shouldn't have said that. That was kind of dumb. Which uh, he doesn't. Yeah, right? he doesn't. So. Yeah. Really brutal. Um, and yeah, he... Balon basically paints Yara in such a great light. Like, he says, you know... She's she's a woman. She can't lead an attack. And she's like, listen, he's she's commanded men. You know, the only nights she's spent off of Pike have been on the ocean. Um, she's commanded men. She's killed men. She knows who she is. Mm-hmm. And um, immediately where we build, we have a respect built for her at that moment as the viewer, um, to some extent, as wary as it may be, considering that she's a Greyjoy, we at least um, feel like she's accomplished more than <laughs> than Theon. Um which is funny, man. Theon is just so ridiculous. Oh, yes. Poor guy. I mean, you know, Alfie Allen, he looks like he's a nice guy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he's just so good at playing <laughs> such a weasel. And that was a pretty badass, like, um, armored outfit that he was wearing, too. Like, with the intricate Kraken, Krakens and gold on the, the clip areas of the cape. and Oh, and that fireplace. Pretty... Oh, oh, in oh yeah. In the great room. Oh. Amazing. That was actually in my notes was just that big kraken around the big uh, around the hearth and the roaring fire. And I just, oh, it was this, lovely. It was just wonderful in every way. Did we see the sea stone chair? I don't remember. No, he was just in a chair, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. So there's these there's a number of castles that have like their own thrones. Um, there's the King's Landing with the Iron Throne. There's um, the sea stone chair at Pike. Um, I think we've seen Euron in it, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. Um, and then, yeah, there's other castles that have their own thrones, too. Can you think of any right now? I know Dragonstone has it. I think I that's what, what you said. Yeah, can you remember what it's um, called? I don't know if we get a name for that. can't remember. I don't know. I could look it up. 
Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can look it up and tell us. That would help. Yeah, uh-huh. do that. <laughs> um, Listeners supported. Yeah. Anything else about Theon and Yara and their sexual um, no stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no. Lots no, of no. like brother sister stuff in this show. Yeah, and for some reason, this is the only one that I was just like, no. Super gross. I think it was by. because he he didn't know, and she played into it, and he was icky, and I just always and and he was just so awful to that to the captain's daughter, and he was awful to Roz. Like he's just terrible to women. Yeah, there's so many like horrible and devious elements to the scene like he's like assaulting her essentially um yes. she is deceiving him essentially like they're, they're both doing some really bad shit here it's both it's, uh, it's, it's terrible so funny, on man. both sides on yeah. this one yeah and i i know we were we briefly talked about this before recording and this is like the grossest thing in the series for you right Yes, this and Robin breastfeeding. Yes. <laughs> for me, it's like the grossest thing is um, the the red viper getting his head popped yeah. like a like a tick, um, and I don't know. Maybe I, the I can't uh, think of anything else. The the uh, the oh, what was it? The shit can uh, old town montage. <laughs> yeah, that's up there too. It'd be, yeah, yeah. Right into the next scene to hot pie. Yeah, that one right there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh no, the grossest thing for me was the cum face girl in this episode. Oh my gosh! I forgot. And, and then she and then she, she French totally kisses, kisses the next guy. guy. Oh. Yeah, that was a, that's the series. That's the grossest thing in the series for me, right there. So we both get like it, the grossest like, no. thing. Yeah, that was so fucking funny, though. It's just she comes out and it's just like dribbling out of her face, and she just like seems like she's in a daze, like almost like she's on drugs or just fucked up. And Baelish just goes over, and it's right as Roz is having her break down and crying and disappointing the customer and he just goes over and wipes her face real quick and wipes passes her, her along face. <laughs> and oh, they're making out and I'm just like my stomach is just like twisting and ugh. yeah there's a lot of stuff that's not for the faint of heart in the first couple of seasons yeah that was a gross I mean, they one. don't ease into any of the difficult subjects they they just have it right there <laughs> on display from the very beginning <laughs> Yeah, it's brutal. Um, so we got your number three and my number one in there. So how about your number two? Uh, my number two was Craster. All right. Um, and basically, you know, we we get a glimpse of where of, that there is a plan for when the boys are born at Craster's Keep. Yes. Um. You know, first of all, I was really happy to see Ghost, um, you know, at Craster's Keep. Just um, I know that she was scaring. He was scaring Gilly um, or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, it was just so wonderful to see Ghost because we just we we didn't get to see him in season seven and yeah. barely got to see him in season six. So it's nice to see the dire wolves. Any chance that we that we get. Yeah, As Travis says, I want Ghost. He has ghosts. <laughs> I know. That, that, that's why he wants more ghosts, you know? Like, yeah, he has ghosts and gray wind, and that guy's got wolves on wolves. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, 
you know, John just can't help himself. He just, you know, needs answers. And he's decided to follow Craster really horribly. I mean, he hid behind a very tiny tree. He followed him very closely. You know, um, he's like running through the woods to try to catch up to the White Walker right (laughs) after after Craster passes as if he couldn't hear like the clumping through the snow. (laughs) With his big, huge sword that is like pretty much bigger than him. Yeah. He's like, I got my sword. Let's go. You know? Yeah. And speaking of funny thing about the sword, too, I have written down in my notes, L-O-L-O-L-O-L, John, quote unquote, sharpening his Valyrian steel blade (laughs) as if he has anything hard enough to sharpen Valyrian steel. (laughs) Obviously a continuity error (laughs) in the show, which is hilarious. Um, Yeah, because, you know, Valyrian steel is like the sharpest thing on the planet. They don't have anything that's harder to sharpen as that so it's impossible for him to be sharpening it um hilarious yeah yeah maybe maybe he decided he needed something to do other than just sulk yeah i'm gonna mope and pretend as if i can make long claw even sharper than it is yeah (laughs) that was a good john snow man (laughs) thanks um yeah so craster all of a sudden knocks him out and i totally forgot that craster knocked him out in that moment um, oh, yeah. I thought I thought for sure we were going to see that for some reason, I thought that this episode ended with um, with the baby turning blue and uh, walking through all of that crazy Iceland. But, oh, you yeah. Know, that is a couple of seasons. The first time you watch it, you're like, am I in the right show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. That was out of left, way out of left field, too. That was cool, man. I think it was the very beginning of the next like the opening scene of the next of season, episode. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, I thought that was like season four or something like that. No, because I, they have to take the baby, don't they? Yeah, they take... We'll see. I don't know if that was this baby or just another like random baby. Because it's not for until another season that um, Craster's Keep gets destroyed, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it is that baby. Yeah, I guess we'll find out soon. Yeah, next week. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, so Craster just getting answers and and any development at all with John and and seeing him kind of bumble through so so many early early season moments because he's such a hardened warrior now that you know all of this experience and and all of these missteps that he's taken in the beginning have made him who he is uh, as a character today, and um, it's fun to watch him gr- growing instead of just you know okay grown Mr. Yeah. Battle of the Bastards and you know anyway <laughs> yeah, I funny. love Jon Snow me too <clears throat> and that um, is that it for your number yeah two? that's that's my number two, number two. Um, yeah it works out well too because my number two is uh, the lurking threat of the White Walker apocalypse which Yay! seems to always be in my top five somehow to some extent <laughs> just the the continued ominous hints of the horror to come uh, which i really well, they enjoy ram it down our throat really in the beginning and you don't even realize what's happening yeah i love it um so the first part we uh the first hint we get of it this episode is cersei reading rob's letter um we arrive in king's landing and She's not having his demands, you know, relinquishing the domain over the north and whatnot. And she rips, shreds his letter. And uh, Tyrion has a funny line there where he points out that she's mastered the art of shredding paper um, <laughs> like she did with Ned's uh, or with Robert's last will and testament, essentially, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And uh, 
she's like, just pass the message along to Rob Stark. Um, tell it, it's their cousin who's the envoy, um, which is pretty interesting because we know what happens with him. Yeah. Sadly, I, and I hadn't really realized that this was that guy on previous watches. So I was like, oh, shit, that's the guy that Jamie waxes out in a couple of uh, episodes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So Tyrion has another good line here where he tells her that she has a deft hand with diplomacy. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's like she's like got a like a an, a hammer in a in a, like a china shop with diplomacy. <laughs> she's the worst. <laughs> yeah, she's very hammer fisted. Um, she's she, nuance is not something that she's capable of. Uh, really, it seems. Um. So that's pretty funny, and she ends up pointing out, like, how many kings are there now? Like, five kings, you know, she's losing count. She gets another letter Tyrion is reading with the um, the Lord Commander is asking for the crown to send more men north, and he says that cold winds are rising and the dead rise with them. With them. Which is super ominous. Pycelle points out that the northerners are superstitious and that Mormont and... Um, Tyrion, you know, further states that Mormont is reporting that he's been attacked by a dead man, which is hardcore. And obviously Tyrion um, has a respect for Mormont. And he, uh, as Says we learn... he doesn't lie. Yeah, in season seven, um, when he's talking with Jon about the White Walker threat, and Jon is telling him they're at Dragonstone, and Jon's telling him all about it, and he's like... He's like, I know you don't believe me, but and Tyrion's like, well, you know, Mormont told me this as well, and I trusted Mormont, and uh, and I trust you, so I'm compelled to feel like this is likely, even though I can't believe it, not having any evidence. Like, he obviously um, has a hefty dose of respect for Mormont and takes his word um, seriously to some extent. So he is sort of taken aback by this message. And Cersei blows it off, um, of course, and Tyrion ominously points out, you know, he says that here's one fact for you. The Night's Watch are all that separate us from whatever is beyond the wall, be it, you know, nothing or something. And she says, uh, in response, Cersei says, I have every confidence that the Night's Watch will protect us all. And that is very ominous and uh, foreshadowing, considering we just saw the wall completely breached and the the Night King ride forth south past the wall, and the Night's Watch um, on a fucking undead zombie dragon. Uh, you know, so so uh, very ominous moment where it also shows us how wrong Cersei is about everything. Um, everything she's just so wrong. As the Night's Watch are completely incapable of protecting us with their dwindling numbers. How many men do they have on the show? Like un- less than 100 total <laughs> or something? Castle Black is like 50 people or something. I think, yeah, I think that was after the battle at the wall. They had uh, they had less than 100. Yeah, yeah it's really bad. I, I wrote down a question that said, you know, I don't understand. Like, why do you want the North if you don't want the North? You know, why are you so hellbent, Cersei, on keeping the North when you don't want it? You don't want to deal with the wall or or manning it. And you don't want to, you know, watch over maybe just because of its sheer size and the fact that if the North was its own entity that they could take King's Landing. But that's pretty much it, I think. Just to like to be protected from it. 
um, mm-hmm. to own it so it doesn't turn against her. <laughs> yeah, it, sh- it really shows you what she's all about, which is just power. Yeah. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, good good quote. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, is that your number two? That was part of it, yeah. So we get that okay. foreshadowing of the um, wall being breached when Cersei says, you know, that she has every confidence the Night's Watch will protect us. Then we get some more at Craster's Keep, obviously, when um, Sam is... <laughs> it's, it's funny, we arrive in the scene, and it's Dolorous Ed and Sam talking about how people fart when they die. great conversation ed was he talking about his grandmother or something (laughs) (laughs) big long fart noises and um these they pull no punches with like the poop jokes and stuff on the show for sure bunch of boys together yeah lots of (laughs) misogyny and poop jokes and sex stuff and molestation and things (laughs) um so, so that was that kind of reminded me of the conversation that we got in season one with Robert talking with Barristan and Jamie about killing people, their first times killing people, and how they never tell you about how they shit themselves when they die. Oh, yeah. King Robert talking about that. And then it also parallels the season seven scene with um, Dickon the Great. Um, yeah. <laughs> Dickon Tarly talking about how he didn't expect the battlefield to smell of shit and that they never talk tell you about how everybody shits themselves when they die in battle. So but this is our third um, reference that we're conscious of at this point of people talking about farting and shitting when they <laughs> when they die, which is horrible, but also really funny. It might, reminds me of um, that scene in South Park after, I don't remember what happened, but Trey Parker and Matt Stone felt betrayed by Isaac Hayes, um, the guy who plays Chef, you know, and Chef, Shaft yeah. and whatnot. Um, for some reason, so they'd killed off his character Chef, and they, like, <laughs> toss him down a ravine or something, and he hits every rock on the way down, breaks all his bones, and there's just, like, bones poking at him everywhere. <laughs> and he's lying on the ground, like, all fucked up. And uh, a bear comes or a tiger or something and starts <laughs> rips his face off and like does all this stuff, starts shredding him and then runs off. And Cartman's like, well, you know what? Now I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cartman's like, maybe he's not dead, you guys. Maybe he's still alive down there. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he shits himself. <laughs> they said the last thing that happens before he dies, you sh- <laughs> ah, he's dead. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Classic South. Well, that was quotes. a good pull. just made me think of it right now very timely reference there i love that scene it uh, always sticks out to me for some reason probably just because i loved chef so much and it was like it sucked to see him die but it was so funny at the same time so we get that whole thing um and um what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, they're talking about farting and when they die so then um (laughs) so um so Sam is always has something hilarious to say about like women and his interactions with women. Like remember beforehand, he was like, he was like, I never even talked to them. I just miss them. You know, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? this time he's like, oh, what a wonderful sight. You know, the sight of a woman walking away. And what is it? Ed or somebody is like, uh, sight of them walking towards you is even better. And he's like, I can only yeah, imagine. <laughs> Great scene. I love Sam and his like women stuff. Um, and then he goes to save Gilly after he sees her being attacked or not attacked, but intimidated by ghost who wants the rabbits that she's holding or something like that. Mm -hmm. And 
it says a lot that um, Sam has the persuasive ability over Ghost to tell him to shoo and Ghost will listen. That really kind of tells you how well John has trained um, Ghost. This is a fucking dire wolf, you know what I mean? And the fat boy's telling him what to do and he's listening, you know, when he's hungry and there's raw rabbit like right there. It's pretty impressive. So I think it's more impressive of um, what it says to Sam's character. That as well, that he's, yeah. Yeah, and just like you're saying, um, he's willing to stand up to a fucking dire wolf. Um, mm -hmm. And Gilly, you know, recognizes this as well as she tells him, you're very brave. And this is the first time anybody's ever said anything like that to Sam, I imagine. And it, Get out of my head. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, immediately Sam falls in love. You know? Right, he's like, oh my gosh, oh my she's God. a girl, she called me brave, she talked I'm going to marry me. her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She, not only did she talk to me, but she thinks I'm brave, like, this is a keeper. It's so, like, if I go up to Mormon and I say, can I rescind my words, can I do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And there's multiple things that are brave about Sam at this in this scene. A, he stood up to the dire wolf. B, he's talking to Craster's daughter at all. Just like strictly off limits. Like you don't fucking look at him. You don't talk to him. Yeah. You don't do what Theon did to Yara to them. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, like you keep your hands to yourself. Otherwise you lose your hand. Like um, Craster said previously so sam is just like <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck basically well, then then he goes up to john and he's like hey let's take her with us yeah yeah which is just lunacy but i, I mean <laughs> john's like are you out of your ever loving mind right and and i have in my notes here like why does sam think john would be able to help anyway but then at the same time like obviously they've been ordered to stand down or whatever but at the same time you know sam is in the right here um He's and, uh, you know, John says, well, you want to steal her? And he says, you, you can't steal her. You know, she's a person, not she's a goat. She's a person. Yeah, she's a person. So, like, Sam is right here. Like, Craster mm -hmm. can't tell them not to talk to these fucking girls. John shouldn't, like, they can't just say that they won't help her because she's, like, Craster's property. Sam is on the right. John, as a leader, should step up here and and... And do the right thing and try to convince Mormont that there needs to be an intervention, essentially. That Yeah, but the right thing happened. I mean, she would have died because of where they were going, right? Yeah, at the same time, he, he points out to... Um to her or to uh, Sam that you know we're heading north it's not she's pregnant like what are you gonna like it's not the right time for a this. baby yeah we're gonna <laughs> deliver a baby so yeah the right thing ends up happening um here and in the future when they do end up saving her um and having recently been scolded by Mormont John is just not in a position to push his push the limits here any further but this ma makes me think of something else that i thought i caught this time around which i had never oh, caught good. before um, which i think is really fun and interesting and so you remember when when john meets egret grit and everything and they're talking about how wildling men take wives right remember what the process is for that oh <sighs> No, I do, but it's it's not coming to my brain right now. All right. Well, basically what happens is that the wildling man will steal his bride, right? So Ygritte considers John to have stolen her when she is, you know, not killed by him after they ambush her and the other wildlings at the fire, essentially. Um, 
And so like the whole you know concept is that women, wildling women, hope they'll be stolen by someone like a big, strong wildling man who will give them good babies and whatnot. They don't want like the weak, weak, <laughs> weakling wildlings and everything. You know, it's all about strength and power and whatnot. So the process is being like they steal their wives, right? Mm-hmm. So in this scene, Sam, um, John says to Sam, you want to steal her? Which, which, yeah. So after this, they're like inseparable, you know, when, when he does end up saving her and stealing her from Craster's keep, um, at the, in the next season, I think when they return, um, that's the equivalent of wildling marriage for Gilly and Sam. She names her baby after him. You know, they're like, they're to their pair after this, you know, like he takes her to Horn Hill. Yeah, he takes her to Horn Hill to have her protected. He stole her. John articulates it in those terms in this scene. Um, when we ha- we're not yet aware of the concept until John meets Igrit and everything, but I thought it was really cool that they mentioned it um, verbatim the concept of stealing a woman in this episode in terms of stealing a wildling woman, and um, we can clearly see how Gilly interprets that in the future as her relationship with Sam develops. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. I just never noticed that, that terminology. really awesome. Yeah, I was pretty, pretty pumped to notice that. Um, so we get, you know, um, Gilly's talking about her boy here and, and, um, or her son, you know, she's like, we need to, t-, you know, Sam's like, we need to take Gilly with us. What if she has a boy? Like if it's a boy, what? And she won't tell John um, what, what would happen to the boys and John is like, well, if you want us to risk our lives for you by like disobeying Lord Commander Mormont and your father slash husband. Um, and you won't even tell us why. And she kind of like storms off. But, um, you know, that's sort of ominous, like makes us wonder again, like what happens to the boys. And then further in the, in the episode, we see what you were describing earlier. John witnesses the baby being scooped up by this creature mm-hmm. with blue eyes and um yeah all you really see are the blue eyes too. yeah super scary yeah mm-hmm. um and then craster knocks his bitch ass out he's totally bitch made by craster here uh which is so funny man and <laughs> he's in so much trouble he's so much so, trouble he's in so much trouble yeah <laughs> uh, it is funny how mormont ends up giving him his sword back though and he's like don't lose it again <laughs> yeah, i know but yeah, that's um, all kinds of ominous White Walker stuff. What happens to the boys? You know, the, oh, the Night's Watch will surely protect us. I have full confidence in them. And then we see the White Walker taking the baby, and it's scary. And yeah, just the ominous threat of the White Walker apocalypse is my number two. I love it when they end it on such an interesting cliffhanger, too. Yeah, like <laughs> John being knocked out cold. But it, But you wanted to, like... You're with there with John. You said, where is he going? What is that? What's going on? What are those blue eyes? You know? Yeah. And then bam, done. And this is our second occasion seeing a white walker, right? Um, yeah. Since the pilot, we saw the white walkers. Mm-hmm. And then now is the second time, right? We didn't see him in between. No, them. I don't think we've seen one since. Just. Just a couple of whites. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, that it's Jon Snow who sees the White Walker first. You know what I mean? I know. All uh, he had to do was just pull out that sword and just slice him, man. I know. He was so close. He already had the sword out, too. I'm surprised that Craster didn't try to keep Longclaw. I don't think he knew. Do you think he knew? The blade was out. He had to have known. No, but you know what? Nobody knew that that was going to happen until Hardhome. 
when the no, two swords uh, no, crashed. I, I mean, I, I don't think he would have known that, but I think he would have just wanted Valyrian steel. Oh, yeah. Because who doesn't? Because okay, he know? was asking for weapons and the axe and everything. Yeah. Yeah, that is surprising. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I guess, um, yeah, I guess everybody would have known if Longclaw was being um, taken by him and they probably wouldn't have put up with it. So he probably didn't even try. <laughs> Knows how valuable it is. Well, he's still a coward. I mean, he's Craster, somebody who, yeah, I mean, he marries his daughters and has more daughters. I mean, it's gross. <laughs> yeah, understatement of the century. <laughs> lots, lots of gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up my uh, number two. Unless there's okay. anything you want to add to it. No, I think you covered it really well. Gosh, I love, I, I absolutely love that stealing thing. I can't wait to share it. And I know, <laughs> I, I was excited about that too. I heard him say, you want to steal her? And I was like, oh! <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love it when you make when, when you make those connections, you know, as a viewer and as a fan. Yeah. And you just think to yourself, oh my gosh, I got it, yeah, I got it! It fits perfectly. It's like, yeah, so well written. So how about your uh, numero uno? Uh, my number one is um, Littlefinger the Pimp. <laughs> yeah as okay i'll add i gotta i gotta have i gotta redo my little quote here if i can find it real quick to set oh, up to it. set up the scene because it's just so funny yeah bailiff watches through people as a guy gets head while watching another couple having sex through another people yeah <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous man. class act yeah. right there yeah making sure all of his investments are in order all these people said everybody's peeping on each other <laughs> it's hilarious it, yeah, it's, oh gosh, he's so gross too. Um, you know, but you kind of get an idea of kind of who who Baelish is, right? I mean, he owns this brothel and he's a pimp and he has his ladies of the night, right? Yeah. Um, ladies of the evening, I would, I would say. <laughs> is that what they're called? Is that's, that what they're called? That's what uh, I think Bubbles on Trailer Park Boys calls him that at some point, so... <laughs> bubbles um so you know it like we we've touched on um little finger a little bit here and there with you know wiping off the cum and giving that woman over to the upset man and you know he's checking on things and um you know just always kind of skulking around and he's got his hands kind of everywhere and his eyes everywhere and then um you think that you're seeing this softer side of Baelish, when he walks in, he sees that Roz is um, crying. Yeah. His first, his first thought is, did he hurt you? Right. And you're like, oh, wow, that's really nice. Oh, he's really cool. You know, he's he's a nice guy. And then you realize he just wants to know because he doesn't want his investment to get hurt. Yeah, it's you know? really he doesn't care up. about Roz. You know, he yeah. doesn't care about her feelings. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about um, the baby that was just murdered in the middle of his brothel. I mean, all he has to say is that was poorly handled, you know? Yeah. He's Comedy Central here and she's Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> all right. I saw Dave Chappelle and he he, he um, talked about how he left Comedy Central because they were treating him like a pimp, basically. Oh, 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 I see. Giving little zero shits about his uh, well-being or anything like that. He basically put it in terms of Iceberg Slim, this famous pimp who wrote a book called Pimp and like explained his whole Comedy Central deal in terms of that. So naturally, this made me think of that. But naturally, naturally, that's where your brain <laughs> <Yeah>. went. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, so 
I think that we kind of see the full scope of Littlefinger here is that he acts very caring and very soothing and very human towards people that are going to give him the greatest benefit in the long run. Um, you know, but he's very careful about protecting what he has. And this brothel is his greatest achievement other than being on the small council. Yeah. Right? Being master of coin. <laughs> right. Um, um, and damn, he is so creepy in this scene, the way he tells the story and, and, um, talks about how he hates bad investments and, uh, obviously talking about her. Yeah. And as he goes on, he's just getting worse and worse. And, and, and when he leaves, he's like, take the night off and you are going to be happy tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. Okay. Cause that makes me yeah. happy. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And, and she, um, you can see, she sort of has this moment where she realizes the position that she's in too. Mm-hmm. And man, the story that he tells about this other girl, um, who was like a very valuable investment. She cost him a lot of money and she's not delivering and, she, he has this customer who wants to use her in ways that most men would never think to use a woman and transform her. Um, I would not say he succeeded in making her happy, but my losses were definitely mitigated. <laughs> Whoa. I, I, I have to tell you, that's kind of like Roz and um, uh, I, I forget who it was with Joffrey. Yeah, no, uh, it's later. A, exactly. Yeah, that's right? exactly what ends up happening with Roz. Um, well, the minute he starts talking about um, he wanted to, you know, transform her and, and, and uh, use women in ways that, you know, women shouldn't be used or something. I'm thinking uh, the whole time I'm thinking of what Joffrey is about to do to her. Exactly. Her yeah, totally foreshadowing. Um, yeah, this whole uh, horrible thing. Well, her and her friend and then just her alone, you know, when yeah. she actually gets... Um, Gorked by Joffrey, right? It's just her by herself, sort of um, in bondage over this, over the bed when he crossbows her repeatedly, right? Yes. Yeah, that's so brutal, man. Yeah. <sighs> so we get um, foreshadowing of her death here. We get foreshadowing of Mathos's death with Melisandre and the wildfire. Um, yeah, lots of foreshadowing. Yeah, and he has one of the best lines of the episode, too, when he says, sometimes those with the most power have the least grace. Yeah, that was a really, I wrote that quote down, too. Um, yeah, what a creep, man. Yeah, lots of creeps in this episode, I have to say. Littlefinger, Craster, Theon, Jano Slint, um, you know, to a certain extent, Braun, because you realize he's willing to kill babies if the price is right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Stannis yep. and his shadow baby. Just lots of creeps. I can't wait to see the shadow baby. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I Clawing his way it, out. So, you know what, though? The way it was written in the books, man. So good. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When they sort of enter the tunnel and um, yeah. yeah, it's really good in the books. I agree. The way the shadow monster goes right through the gate. Yes. Well, and she's giving birth to it. And he's just horrified watching it. (laughs) Davos cannot believe what he's a part of. Yeah, I love the Davos chapters. I agree. Yeah, they're so good. I agree, absolutely. So that was my number one. Did you have any that you've skipped over? I did. Um, Okay. I rearranged them a little bit. So my number one at this point is uh, religious intensity. Yay, um, here comes our section on dark and light. Yeah, 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 that, the <laughs> section of black and white. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we got all kinds of 
crazy um, intense religious stuff going on in this episode. The first example is the scene we have with Danny, Danny and in the desert. And we, it starts out with Jorah looking very dazed, um, heat stroked as he sips his water and notices a blurred horse arriving in the distance. Danny, he points out to Danny that the, this horse is showing up and we realize that there's no rider and the horse is really cool, man. Like it's got this red paint, like streaks down its sides and everything like pretty badass looking horse. But we shortly learn that it's Ricaro's horse and that Ricaro's head has been severed and is hanging in the saddlebag. And, um, she, Jorah tells Danny, you know, there, there's no need for you to see this, Danny, you know, and he's blood of my blood. I'll, you know, the same way that she refused to not see Viserys be killed. Um, Danny, she has this trend where she refuses to hide herself from the atrocities of life, essentially. Um, we, we see it in a number of instances where she refuses to look away when Viserys is being, you know, being crowned. <laughs> um, she refuses to look away when her blood rider here is um, found decapitated. She refuses to look away at the little children who are sacrificed on the road to Marine by the great mm -hmm. masters or Astapor or wherever it is. And there's one every mile crucified for 126 miles or whatever it is. Um, she, I like that carrot that about her, that she's willing to face the truth and um, allow the truth to you know, play a part in her um, information base and she won't hide from reality. Um, she wants to see it so she can feel it and and use the 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 reaction, the you know, the emotion and the real realization of situations to to motivate her decision making in the future. Um, I think that's really something really good about her character. Um, and then the really intense part of, of the religious stuff that goes on here, though, is when her handmaiden approaches in a particularly chilling moment, um, which we get the name of the episode from, um, as she exclaims in horror that, you know, um, Jorah had said it may have been Calpono or one of these other calls who is not excited about a woman leading a Kalazar. Um, and Danny has a great line where she says they'll like it far less when I'm done with them which is funny I love her uh, she's so great but yeah the handmaiden is horrified as she realizes that they killed his soul she exclaims and Danny is kind of you know taken aback and horrified by the this idea and she, she tries to comfort her and says Shh, they cannot kill they cannot kill his soul and she says they did they butchered him like an animal they did not burn his body he could never join his ancestors in the Nightlands. And she's like freaking out about this. Like, obviously, the Dothraki take their religion really seriously and their customs and their beliefs about the Nightlands and the um, their heavens for them and their concept of a soul. So th this is obviously somebody that she really cares about. And the idea that their soul has been destroyed and that he will he's robbed of his destiny to ride with his ancestors through the nightlands is like more than this person can handle at this moment and i think it's like a a particularly bone chilling scene and the performances are very strong and danny tries to make her feel better tells her you know well we'll build him 
funeral pyre, and I promise you, Ricaro will ride with his ancestors tonight. And um, it's sort of the camera cuts back to like a, a, a shot that's further away, and you hear her sobbing, and she she screams and like lets out like a blood curdling wail, which is <laughs> just really that intense. Very deep, emotional, grief stricken. Yeah, sound. And there's two of those in this series that I can think of right now that are really powerful and have an intense effect for me as a viewer. And it's this scene here, um, which is really intense. And then the scream that Alaria lets out when the red Viper has his head crushed is another blood curdling (laughs) scream that is super effective. Um, Yeah. So the really, really powerful moment here um, as this handmaiden thinks that Ricaro's soul has been, killed and it's just a horrifying concept um so that was really cool um next we have salador san and and davos and mathos talking and we learn that as i talked about before um you know um mathos is all about lord the lord of light davos doesn't believe in any of that bullshit um (laughs) (laughs) it's Stana, uh, Davos has an interesting statement here at the end of that scene where he says Stannis is his god. Mm-hmm. Um, that everything that, you know, Mathos's education, the fact that he can read and write, is all thanks to Stannis making Davos a lord. And it, they owe it all to Stannis. Stannis and the Manus is their god, uh, which is really con- interesting concept. Um, D- Mathos points out that you know Stannis is just a man, um, and I love I love uh, Solidar San, who's, just, who's a great character with his huge sword um, and his cool pirate garb. Um, I love how he says to to Davos here, "The man chops off your fingers and you fall in love with him," <laughs> which is a hilarious line. Uh, we do get the fact that his fingers are cut off pointed out again, and. Um, it's just really hilarious that, like Solidar says, Davos gets his fingers cut off by Stannis, and somehow this makes him <laughs> have like this huge allegiance to the man, which is just so funny, yeah. man. So we get that whole like r- intensity of um, you know the Lord of Light and Mathos's devotion to him and Stannis or Davos's devotion to Stannis. Um, which is just like an interesting take on religion and whatnot. I thought there was another cool line where, um, da- you know, uh, Davos is informing Stannis that Solidar San is joining them. And Stannis asks if Davos trusts him. And Davos says, um, I've known him for 30 years, never trusted him. You know, but once he gets the smell of gold, he never stops. And I thought that was pretty funny. He's like, "Fuck no, I don't trust him." But like, I trust oh, that he uh, wants gold. You know, pirate brawn. Yeah, totally. Um, so that was pretty fun. Then we get more intensity, religious intensity, as Melisandre seduces Stannis, which is pretty wild. A pretty wild scene. You know, she starts talking shit about about uh, Stannis's wife, um, whose name I can't remember at this moment. But Melisandre's like, she's sickly, weak, shut away in a tower. Celsi. Oh, um, Selyse. Cel- Selyse, sorry. Yeah, good call. Um, she disgusts you, and she's given you nothing. No sons, only stillborns, only death. And she like pulls out her big boobs and uh, totally tricks Stannis into giving her a shadow baby. And she seduces him, promising him a son, which obviously is, seems to be an important thing to Stannis. Is it like 
catches his legacy. attention. Yeah. Um, they have the idea of like a legacy and a dynasty or just futuring his, 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 you know, having a male heir. And that like turns him on, obviously, <laughs> as we see. Um, you know, there was an interesting thing about, about, um, about that, about that line, about how she said, you've had no sons. They, um, the writers wanted to keep that open because they didn't know if they were going to be able to cast Shireen or not. And so rather than bring her into that scene by saying, you only have a daughter oh, or you have no children. They were uh, ambiguous they said, about it. <laughs> yeah. They stayed ambiguous about it until they realized whether or not the story would allow for Shireen to enter into it. That's pretty slick. Yeah. Nice. I didn't know that. That's cool. Where'd you learn that? Oh, I don't know. In my research. I do a lot of reading <clears throat> nice. in between our weeks. You're welcome, viewers. <laughs> or listeners. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so yeah, that pretty much wraps up my number one. Just intense things happening with uh, religion all over the place. Melisandre seeing the future. Um, what do we say? Oh, we also had um, the introduction of two new gods sort of in this episode we have um Balon Greyjoy saying you know what's dead may never die and the sort of hint at the concept of the religion of the drowned god mm-hmm. which is cool and we learn about get more of that next week yeah next week is uh, called what's what is dead may never die right so we'll mm-hmm. yeah we'll get more of a taste of that we get the brief introduction today uh two episodes in a row with whole ideology is being introduced to us as we rapidly expand the uh, Game of Thrones universe um, these world building first couple seasons which is pretty that wild that was really one of that was one of my, my my notes was that the amount of scene switching that happened in this episode was amazing yeah I mean, so there were much just, stuff it wasn't just places it was like okay we're in King's Landing but we're gonna go to three different places in King's Landing in King's yeah. Landing <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. This episode was insane for the amount of stuff that happened, and it's so good. Like these episodes are just so well written, and they fit so much stuff into such a short amount of time. It's like incomprehensible almost. I agree. Um, Lots of setup in this episode. I think. Yeah, I, I love it. And then we get to learn about <laughs> about Salador San's religion too. Did you catch that? Uh, yeah, in, uh, between a woman's legs. Yeah, that's <laughs> the only God is what lies between a woman's legs. And, you know, that's actually makes He's a, a lot, good man. It makes a lot of sense because <laughs> creation itself lies between a woman's legs. Right. And that's what the concept of God is, is the mm-hmm. essence of creation, um, essentially. Right. Um, well, yeah. And a pirate likes to, you know, rape and plunder. Yeah, <laughs> but I thought you know that there was like a, there was like the obvious like base level like um, you know interpretation of it, which the is the duality of what he was saying. Yeah, yeah, like just like that, like that's just what he strives for is getting in between the legs. But then there's that element of like of that that it it is creation that lies there, you know, and that it's something very godly about that. It was you know it was like a throwaway line that has some depth to it, um, which I thought was pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So that that pretty much wraps up my number one is just all the uh, religious stuff again that's going on. Uh, got any notes or anything you want to talk about? Um, not really. The only thing I had was a new character. The list of new characters that we had was uh, Jockin Hagar, uh, Podrick Payne, Yara Greyjoy, Balon Greyjoy, Salador San, <laughs> and Mathos uh, Seaworth. Nice. Yeah. Some 
great characters that are still with us today. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Which um, is a miracle. Whatever happens to uh, Salador? Um, let's see, season two, season three. He is, um, yeah. He sails away with a package of gold coins from the Iron Bank, noting that more right. money waits at his home with his wife. Right, yeah. Stannis goes to the Iron Bank, gets a whole bunch of gold. Davos surprises Solidor, who like That's thinks right. he's he dead. Found and him in, him a, the whole, in the little bathhouse. Yeah, the bathhouse, and gives him like a roll of gold coins. And I'm like, damn, I want that roll. Yeah. <laughs> and then Salador sarcastically declares that contrary to popular opinion, Davos is not his friend. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, we got a we got a cool um scene when when Tyrion figures out that Cersei didn't give the order to um kill the bastards. Cersei gives her interpretation of what it's like to be a ruler, right? It's like to rule. Oh yeah. And she says it's like lying on a bed of weeds, ripping them out one by one as they try to strangle you while you sleep. <laughs> Which is a pretty intense metaphor, I thought. It's like, God damn. Yeah, it, well, it is when you're Cersei, because Cersei is usually the one trying to do the strangling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> uh, She's just the worst. Yep. So that yeah, pretty much covers all my notes. So if there's anything else you want to add, feel free. No, I think that we covered this pretty good. All right. Then let's take a quick break, and we will be right back with some more news. about Game of Thrones. You want to start it off, Kristen? Sure. Awesome. Game of Thrones Season 8 Directors Revealed. Oh, this article is by Wiki of Thrones, by the way. Uh, The rest of the title reads, All Time Best Set to Return. Game of Thrones is a good show not only because of the powerful series by George R.R. Martin that it's based on, but because of the production that HBO put together has been consistently doing a great job, understatement of the year. Yeah. Game of Thrones has a great set of directors over the years, and as the series draws to a close with its final season, season eight, one shouldn't expect any less. The directors of Game of Thrones Season 8 have just been revealed and fan favorites are set to return. Yay! So Season 8 looks pretty good already. First off, Miguel Sapochnik. Ooh, Miguel Sapochnik. There you go. See, you should be reading that name. (laughs) We'll be returning for this season. He is known as one of the very best directors the show has had to date, having had directed two Season 6 episodes... Battle of the Bastards and Winds of Winter. Two of like the best, the best, the best episodes. episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did not return for season seven, but he is all set to return for the last one. Secondly, David Nutter, 
the other Game of Thrones director with an Emmy for his work on it, will return for season eight. He is known as the pilot whisperer, having launched successful shows like X-Files, ER, and The Flash. Those are good shows. Wow. He is credited for six Game of Thrones episodes, including the season five finale, Mother's Mercy, and the Red Wedding episode from season three titled The Reigns of Castamere. The best part of this reveal is that while two of the best directors of the show are returning, they won't be directing the season eight finale. That will be directed by none other than the showrunners David Benioff and Dan Weiss, which if it was anybody else, it would be ridiculous. Yeah. It is almost a tradition now that the showrunners take charge of the finale of their show. What's unknown is whose name will appear on the credits. Oh, yeah. The Director's Guild rules allows for only one name to take that place. Oh, I see. And Dan and David have switched turns with the previous episodes they have directed. So it will be interesting to see what they do for this one. What about Dan Benioff or David Weiss? <laughs> How about fucking, what the hell, the Director's Guild is fucking them over? Fuck the Director's Guild. I agree. R- Director's Guild rules allows for one name to take that place. Fuck that. That's some yeah, bullshit. Yeah, I agree. That's that's not right. Yeah. As far as the number of episodes per director go, the report says, say it, Sapochnik. Oh, oh Mc, Sapochnik, yeah. Did I say it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll direct at least two, possibly even three, but it's unknown how many Nutter and David and Dan will handle. Wow, that would be half the season. Yeah, right? Oh, man. So more on that as it develops. Are you <laughs> excited yet? Yes, I am of course so I'm excited. excited. Yeah. I wish it was tomorrow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. Oh, man. Yeah, Sapochnik did a great job. Battle of the Bastards is a phenomenal episode. That one in Hard Home, man. Hard Those Home too. wild, too. Did he He did a Hard Home, too? No, I'm just oh, yeah. talking about... I think I'm he just... actually did do Hard Home. Um, no, they would have said that in here. Don't you think? And we need to look this up real quick. Nick did direct um, Hard Home as well. Oh, yay. I knew it. Yeah, he's, Good job. he's awesome. Um, really like Well, he's got work. my vote for half of the season. Yeah, yeah, right? I, <laughs> the Winds of Winter, too. I mean, that's like the most one of the most epic episodes of all time. It starts off with the the uh, the Light of the Seven. Remember that beautiful oh, song? Yes. As Joffrey and, or sorry, as uh, Tom and, and Cersei are getting dressed preparing for the trial they're gonna gonna wish they had all that wildfire yeah yeah um yeah it's gonna be great to have him behind the wheel for a good portion of the final season Uh, pretty awesome news oh i can't wait two hour episodes yes big time i I really hope so too fuck make it 10 hour episodes yes (laughs) that'd be ideal 60 hour final season just put me in westeros just put me in (laughs) there just virtual reality episodes please plug her in Our next article is by Entertainment Weekly. Game of Thrones actor has regrets. I didn't know what I was doing. Game of Thrones actor Stephen Delane, who played Stannis, is expressing some regrets about his character's doomed tour of duty in Westeros. The stern Stannis Brathian actor told the British newspaper, The Times, that he never really understood the show's complex storyline and seemed to have some real misgivings about his performance. I've flicked the show on since since leaving to see if I could figure out what was going on, but I couldn't, he reportedly said. (laughs) (laughs) Liam Cunningham, who 
who plays uh, Sir Davos Seaworth, Stannis' right-hand man, is so passionate about the show. He invests in it in a way that I think is quite moving, but it wasn't my experience. I was entirely dependent on Liam to tell me what scene, what the scenes were about. I didn't, oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing until we finished filming and it was too late. <laughs> what the fuck? How is this possible? The, it's terrible. The damage had been done. I thought he did a great job. I do too. Um, I thought no one would believe in me and I was rather disheartened by the end. I felt I'd built the castle on non-existent foundations. Wow, this is crazy. I'm really surprised well, he, to read this. Then he got Stannis. Yeah, 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 perfect, exactly. Um, we think Delane is being too hard on himself here. While some fans wanted Stannis to be a bit more like the version of the character in George R. R. Martin's novels, if Delane felt a lack of comprehension and conviction, it didn't come across on screen. And eventually, Delane holding himself to such a high standard and beating himself up sounds so Stannisian. <laughs> Almost <laughs> like the character is engaging on some kind of meta performance art. You have expect him to correct his own grammar, too. Meanwhile, Delane is keeping quite busy. He's starring in the World War II drama Darkest Hour, hitting December's twenty, uh, hitting theaters December 22nd. And he's also nice. starring in the ongoing British-French crime drama called The Tunnel. And in case you missed it, another former GOT actor currently made headlines, headlines with our interview with um, Jason Momoa talking about his visit to the final season's top secret set where he was spoiled on the on the season finale. Yeah, but you know what? He does that every year. He likes to go and hang out with those guys. So I don't read too much into it. <laughs> Did you hear about that report? Did we talk about it no. last week? He was like, he's like, oh man, like shocked by what he found out. He didn't want to get spoiled apparently, and he got spoiled by something that's happened. And he's, he said people are See, gonna freak. Nobody wants to get spoiled. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he said people are gonna freak though. So, you know, I um, gosh, I love uh, Stephen Stephen Delane. Me too. In in this show, yeah. I I thought yeah, I, I just was think perfect. he was phenomenal. Like, I thought he nailed um, it. So kudos. I correct people's grammar, and I do it like I I I believe that I'm Stannis when I do it. Like I'll put my hands behind my back and I'll give like a begrudging grimace and I'll say viewer. <laughs> uh, I love Stannis too. Me too. The menace. Uh, so this article is by Sci-Fi Wire. Is it Sci-Fi or S-Y-F-I? It's Sci-Fi, sci right? Sci-Fi, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Game of Thrones Hodor has more than one word of dialogue in short film Biopunk. What? Christian Nairn. Nairn? Yep. Gets around. <laughs> <laughs> First, in Game of Thrones, he goes north of the wall where things don't exactly turn out all that great for his character Hodor. <laughs> now, in... <laughs> That's okay. Now, in the short film Biopunk, he finds himself in post-apocalyptic New London repairing and selling junk. It's about as pleasant as it sounds. New London. Hold on a second. Are they talking about New London, Connecticut? <laughs> Are they talking about like a London, England that is new in this futuristic post-apocalyptic uh, land? My guess is the latter. Yeah, probably. <laughs> But if it's the former, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll be excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The YouTube channel Dust writes, Biopunk is set in 2054, some 30 years after a virus has devastated half the world's population and transformed them into something other than human. Ooh. Rick Grimes is still alive in this world. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Rick Grimes, We don't bitch. really get to see the virus itself, although we do see its after effects, a ravaged civilization. 
a sense of depopulation, martial law, the threat of starvation. I want to see this. Here, Risha, played by Katie Sheridan, is on the hunt for her lost brother, Kayo, by Benjamin Tuttleby. These are great names. We (laughs) learn in the flashback just how he was stolen from her. Uh, Nairn plays Bob, her grouchy boss. It soon has become clear that he's actually her grouchy friend. <laughs> Ooh, that is hard-hitting journalism right there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a well-made short film worth the six minutes of your time. If nothing else, it's worth to hear from Nairn, famous for his beloved character Hodor, who only spoke the word Hodor, use complete sentences. But even in the post-apocalypse, Nairn uses linguistic linguistic affectations. He refers to himself in the third person, that is, Bob. He also gets the best line here, for Bob's sake. (laughs) That's classic. (laughs) Nair never planned to be an actor. He was a DJ with with a booking agent who occasionally sent him out on acting auditions, which is how he found himself auditioning for the role of Hodor. It's nice to see him continuing his on-screen work and actually getting more than one line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I love Hodor. He is a DJ, too. Um, I was in New York City a couple of years ago for some reason. I can't remember why. Some convention or something. And we went to Hard Rock Cafe or something. And there was a party going on, which was actually being hosted by another podcast called um, Game of Owns. Great podcast. Um, Game, uh, obviously a Game of Thrones podcast. And they had Christian Nairn DJing for their party which was called like the rave of ice and fire or something like that. Um, I ended up, I didn't, I didn't have time to go to it. It was like wrapping up by the time I got there or something, but, um, oh, bummer. but I got a poster from it. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's a pretty cool poster. Oh, I'd like to see that. I'll post a picture if I can find it. Pretty Do sure that. I know where it is. We'll be right back with the Ravens calls. Caw-caw. <laughs> oh, wrong bird. And we're back for Raven's Calls. Dave Halberg says, I enjoyed the foreshadowing when the small council dismisses the warnings from Jor Mormont about what is going on north of the wall. Also, the interaction between Tyrion and Janos Slint. Watching Tyrion plotting and dispatching people is always enjoyable. <laughs> we get we also see Bronn's first promotion to commander of the City Watch. I feel as though we can never get enough of Bronn. I totally agree. I would be entirely happy with a whole spin-off series just following Braun. Could take place before a Game of Thrones starts and uh, just be like the Chronicles of Braun or something. That'd be awesome. Wait, you know, uh Dave would watch that. Like, <laughs> I'm sure. Hands down, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Priority recordings. On DVR. Fuck yeah, that'd be sick. Maybe that's one of um George R. R. Martin's proposals for a spin-off series. How great would that be? <laughs> One of the six, one of the six spinoffs is just the, uh, the adventures of Bronn. Yeah, the Bronicles of Bronia. <laughs> <laughs> Does it end with him getting the castle? <laughs> I think it ends with him at, um, like meeting Tyrion at that, at the, at the inn outside of Winterfell. Oh, what a great ending that would be. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Yeah, that's a great show. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd watch that show. I'd totally watch that. Although they'd have to really do some work on his face because he's a hitched. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? It's all good. 
I don't even care. He, he can look older for the whole series. It's fine. It doesn't matter. <laughs> little in little continuity error. Thanks, Dave. Always good to hear from you, brother. Yes. Uh, Jillian Moreau says, okay, so for this episode, I really like a few of the dynamics we saw between the characters. Tyrion and Cersei always are entertaining. I love his tone with her and how she just absolutely despises him with all of her being. She really does. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Arya and Gendry, I like how they were able to talk to each other and she was able to confide her true identity in him yeah. and that he saw right through her act of being a boy. Plus, we got to see more early Jock and Hagar. I'm so intrigued by him, even all these seasons later. Samwell and Gilly, those two are just fun together, though I recall not liking her as much early on. <laughs> Roz and Littlefinger, he's such a sniveling little shit. It seems like he's being genuine but cons and concerning, but really, he's being an ass as usual. Theon and Yara, <laughs> watching him try and seduce her with the hands in her pants and all while she just smirks. Then his <laughs> face, when he realizes who she is, is priceless. And lastly, Stannis and Melisandre. I'm sorry, but that whole seduction scene and then going at it right on the war room table was hot. <laughs> Keep up the great work, guys. Hot with two T's also, like extra, and extra hot. And some fire. <laughs> and some fire, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, Jillian. <laughs> thanks, Jill. Yeah, always good commentary. You the best. Wendy at Eppers. Wandy says, once it's nicked, there's no one around here who knows how to unnick it. <laughs> Love <laughs> that line. Yorin cutting that guy's femoral artery. Oh, man. Yeah, you don't want to fuck with that. She says, nope. Doing it on the war table. More fire. <laughs> Theon shows his true colors with the captain's daughter. Yeah, he does. Total douche. And Littlefinger shows his true colors with a Roz. Yeah, total pimp douche. That you know what there was a, like a true colors kind of theme, those two, and then there was uh, Littlefinger. Uh, oh, she said that. Um, what am I thinking of? Oh, Arya and Gendry. Oh right, Arya showed true her colors. true colors to Gendry. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's interesting. I like that theme. Yeah, good, good job. Uh, Emily Reeves, hello, Emily. Uh, she says they don't like the idea of a woman leading a Kalasar. They will like it far less when I'm done with them. <laughs> I am falling in love with Khaleesi. Oh, yeah. I don't fell a long time ago, Emily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love her. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter Tyson says, Tyrion whistles Reigns of Castamere again. Also, it's amazing to look back and appreciate Cersei's costume evolution. Kind of random, I know, but I think it mirrors her character evolution from doting mother and queen to a cold ruler that inspires a lot of fear. Definitely. Thanks for commenting, Hunter. We have an email next from Archmaester Rennie. Hey, Archmaester Rennie. Hey, buddy. Duncan and Kristen. This whole or this episode is notable for the introduction of Jack and Hagar, a character and actor I like so much in the show that I didn't even mind when they brought him back to be the kindly man at the House of Black and White. Although that's a different character in the books, I agree. Um, if they're gonna change that character, which is pretty awesome in the books, they did it the perfect way by making it mm -hmm. Jack and Hagar in the show. 
Um, and Jack and Agar. He's a fan favorite. Oh, yeah. A total fan favorite. Love that guy. Great actor. Great. Everything about this character is amazing. And for you guys who like Jack and Hagar that are TV show watchers exclusively, I will tell you that Jack and Hagar is doing something totally different in the books at this point of this show. And it is very interesting. And, um, and yeah, you guys should definitely read the books if, to figure out what's going on with Jack and Hagar undercover disguised as somebody else um, doing some sneaking. You guys will dig that for shout. Archmaster Rennie continues. Another scene I love in this episode is Sam saying shoo to Ghost when Ghost is scaring Gilly. <laughs> Does mm-hmm. Sam need to do a single thing more to prove his bravery? <laughs> this episode is where the series starts showing us um, things only hinted at in the books and it gets a bit ham-fisted in the process. Melisandre seduces Stannis on the painted table at Dragonstone, a somewhat bizarre scene in which Stannis seems to be a fucking to be fucking Westeros by proxy. <laughs> Hilarious. She seduces Stannis not only with her body but with the deceptive promise of a son, which of course turns out to be a shadow baby assassin. I don't quite see the point of misleading both Stannis and the audience about the uh, this idea of a son. It makes Stannis out to be a dupe more than a complicit partner in the murder of Renly. Side note, my iPad just freaked me out by autocorrecting Renly to Rennie. <laughs> <laughs> Your loyal listener, Archmaester Rennie. Or maybe Renly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Thanks, Archmaster Rennie. You know what? I think, though, that Stannis was kind of a dupe when it came to Melisandre. I Absolutely. mean, he was just so desperate for that power that he would have done anything that she said. Yeah, he basically gave himself to a god he didn't even believe in based on the promise of power. Um, although he was shown quite a de- great deal of evidence um, by her predictions and, you know, her seeming knowledge of the future and ability to withstand poison and stuff like that. So I guess there was motivation to turn Stan to make Stannis believe that the Lord of Light existed, but he's definitely a dupe. Like she's manipulating him as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. That was a great uh a great email. Thank yeah. you, Archmaester Rennie. Always great emails from Rennie. Oh, from our best friend from from Sarah <clears throat> Pete of Longwood. Hey, Pete. Hey, Petey. Hey, guys. (laughs) I just can't even get through this. (laughs) I feel like this is like a cruel joke on me. (laughs) Duncan's like, hey, Kristen, you want to go first? Because I'm not going to let you know that later you're going to be reading Pete. Oh, I didn't think that far ahead. No, I know. (laughs) Um. So, so Sarah Pete of Longwood says, hey, guys, I read somewhere that <laughs> I can't do this. Hang on. I read <laughs> I read somewhere in the original. Dra- I can't do it. Oh, I, I can do it. I swear I can do it. <laughs> this guy gets more and more ridiculous as the weeks go on. Oh, I'm like crying. I'm actually, I have actual tears going down my cheeks right now. I'm trying to keep it together, too. <laughs> okay. Okay. Collected. Hey, guys. 
I read somewhere that in the original draft, George wrote Tormund Giant Spain as Tormund Giant Stain, a dreaded, if not respected, wildling warrior with the only known case of chronic bloody flux. <laughs> the only man brave enough to fight by his side was the Weeper, so named for his constantly watering eyes. Tormund would ride into battle on a giant brown polar bear that could only somehow turn snowy white if doused with water. Anyone <laughs> foolish enough to fight him hand to hand would soon be begging for a quick death. But George's editors made him rewrite the character to be more feared and less repulsive. <laughs> Do you guys know if this is true? It's totally true. You're the best. <laughs> Love, Sarah Pete of Longwood. It definitely definitely true uh torment pd <laughs> let, let let me tell you something i can't wait to see what you come up with next at this point <laughs> yeah. i just you know what just i hope that you spend a lot of time thinking about this <laughs> like crafting the email and deleting some parts and adding others and maybe developing little sketches yeah and, We'll, so, we'll have our know, section for the the section of black and white and sir pete can have his conspiracy theory section <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Pete really has the uh, the pulse on what on what the fans want to hear. Yeah, this is the wild theorization. Uh, he is the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> it's all true. Wizard. It's all wizard true. Sarah Pete. Um, <laughs> and um, we don't have any voicemails this week, but I do want to apologize to our listener, Patrick, if he still is listening, that um, we missed a number of voicemails from him on our phone number. Um, I was I was unaware that um, we were getting voicemails. I didn't have access previously to the account, but now I do. And um, I can see that we've missed a number of voicemails. So Patrick and any other listeners who have um, sent voicemails to um, 813 Joffrey, I apologize that we have missed them. And we will start including them from this point on. Um, now I know how to access the voicemail and stuff. So thanks for calling. Uh, I'm really sorry that we <laughs> totally fucked up and let you guys down there and didn't include your voicemails. So my sincere apologies. So send in one this week. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we will include it. I promise. Thank you to our uh, thank you to our our review that was given over the week as well. We got one uh, new review in, and it was a great review. And we just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, should we read it? Yeah, sure. Thank you to Vic Ryder who gave us our. Um, our review over the last week titled wonderful hosts, great analysis. I am constantly surprised at how much I've missed the first time I saw game of Thrones. These hosts uncover hidden treasures in each episode they review. So I appreciate that. We appreciate that. Mr. Ryder. Yeah, thanks so much um, for the five star review. Yay. Thanks, Mr. Ryder. Um, yeah, I think that's really cool that, you know, all the stuff we've been picking out in these episodes, I've had a good time doing it. Me too. All right, that's our show, episode 54. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Woo! <laughs> Next week, we'll be covering Season 2, Episode 3, What is Dead May Never Die. So give it a watch and send us your thoughts. I implore you to uh, participate and um, 
share what you think of these episodes because we'd love to give your thoughts on air. As you can see, we have a lot of fun with the listener feedback too. So Yeah, totally. Absolutely. So if you'd like to, you can always call us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. And we will check the voicemails from now on. <laughs> Promise. You can also send your ravens to ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, etc. You know where to find us. You can do it. And um, while you're at it, might as well give us a like on Facebook and uh, shoot us an iTunes rating and review if you have an extra minute. We'd really appreciate it. And it'll help bump us up in the search results so that hopefully we can get found when people search for Game of Thrones in the podcast app, at least on iPhone. Really hard to find us on there. We don't show up. So I'm sure it would help. All right. That's our show, everybody. Thanks for listening. Ned Stark was a man of honor. And I am not. Threaten me again, and I'll have you thrown into the sea. Yeah. Yes. What a crazy <laughs> cool character. Clumping through the snow. With this big, huge sword that is, like, pretty much bigger than him. Yeah. And he's like, I got my sword. Let's go, you know? All these people said everybody's peeping on each other. It's hilarious. The lurking threat of the White Walker apocalypse. Yay! Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc